This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones. I'm an executive coach, and my recent book is Find Your Happy at Work. Today, we'll talk about the need for well-trained workers for the technology sector and about how apprenticeship programs might fill a need in the talent pipeline and, at the same time, create job opportunities for people from groups that are sometimes overlooked. Our guest today is workplace expert Jennifer Carlson. She's a co-founder and executive director of Apprenti. That's a nonprofit group that creates alternative pathways to access tech talent. Apprenti is all about addressing digital skill shortages. Jen will describe a new federal initiative to support apprenticeships. She will talk about why an organization might want to start a program, and she'll explain why you might want to look at apprenticeship opportunities. Jen, we're going to talk about maximizing the pool of technology talent in the U.S. I know there's a real need for that. And, and, and you're going to explain to us why apprenticeships can help create a more robust and diverse tech workforce. But first, here on Jazz About Work, we always like to hear about our guest's own career path. We want to know how you got here. And I know your background includes business development and marketing and all kinds of things. How did you become a workforce expert in the tech center? Uh, that's uh, an interesting and surreptitious conversation. Uh, it winds <laughs> in a lot of directions. Uh, if, if you had asked me uh, when I was a bobcat at Ohio University what I'd be doing 20 years later, this would never have come up. Um, I, it, it's sort of a weird. I bet. It, it's sort of a weird culmination of experiences um, from being in insurance executive to uh, at, at large companies like Progressive and AIG to um, working in sports for a number of years um, and and seeing both how companies, uh, how do I put this uh, politely, how companies quantified diverse hiring, which were typically in um, less skilled areas of business and Also, having been an executive sponsor for some large tech migration projects and feeling the pain of not having enough workforce to get the job done that needed to be done and having to outsource everything um, and seeing very little diversity in that area of the business. And so I think it's just been sort of an amalgamation of experiences that led to the creation of what is now tech apprenticeship in the United States. Well, let me ask before we get into this um, uh, conversation about the tech sector, when you left, um, you were not just changing jobs, you were a co-founder and it feels as though your work might have gone from being the kind of things we all do in big organizations to being sort of a socialpreneur uh, in making this shift. Was that a, a, a 
gradual shift for you, or were you always interested in kind of inventing better ways to do things? Uh, always inventing better ways to do things. Um, almost every role I've had, I created within the company. Um, and, and I had an opportunity while working for the tech association here in Washington, WTIA, to, to see firsthand some of the challenges companies were having and studied that for about a year while working uh, inside that org to write this business plan. But this is just one of, of many, I love your socialpreneur uh, analogy, one of many uh, examples of things I've been involved in. I also helped Green Sports Alliance, which is focused on getting professional sports teams, leagues, franchises, and facilities to change their consumption behaviors um, and become more friendly to recycling, water reclamation, facilities construction to green resources and renewable energy and those kinds of things. So, and oh. that association has been around for, uh, you know, 10, 12 years now as well, making significant changes in another industry. Well, that is fascinating. I, I love working and talking with people who are just innovative. They just can't help it wherever they are. They're kind of inventing new things. So- I'm interested in what was happening in the tech sector that motivated you to uh, really come up with something pretty innovative and, and to be so committed, you actually took a, a leap to follow it. What was and what is the state of talent in the uh, tech sector today? Well, I, you know, kind of the uh, the definition of insanity, continuing to do the same things uh, and expecting a different outcome. Um, we had a, a, a litany of companies that we were working with at WTIA. And of course, being based in Washington, these are fairly large household names like Microsoft, Amazon, F5, Zillow, Tableau. Um, and, and these companies were all wrestling with the same challenge. There was not enough talent to go around. And as an outsider looking in, it was very easy to see um, the, that they were solving their problems through poaching, which of course you know, at its root means that they're not actually solving anything. It's just moving the problem around. Um, and so there was a clear need and concurrently a lot of conversation going on at that point, 2013, 14, 15, uh, about how do we um, improve access for diverse audiences? How do we increase diversity coming into our talent lines? And uh, but the, they were still doing all the same things. They kept going to the university tracks and, and most of the preferred universities and not seeing the complexion of the talent coming out of those schools any different and then saying they can't find diversity. Um, and so it, it basically prompted a conversation that needed to be had about how do we do things differently to change that outcome? And because we have that audience with those large companies and many of them sat on the WTIA board, we could sit down and have a really frank and pragmatic conversation about how far are we willing to go and what are we actually willing to do differently. And that's really what prompted uh, a healthy conversation. And as a third party in a nonprofit organization, it meant we could convene those large companies around the same table and get them to really weigh in proactively and not look at this as a competitive conversation and actually solution build together. And that's really what prompted the desire for me to write the business plan to found this. So as you were looking at possibilities, did you uh, 
kind of break out who, who are the underrepresented people and then go uh, group by group to figure out how to reach out? Or how did you start thinking about where the people are and then how to get them in? Well, so uh, when we convened the companies, um, I, a, I wrote the business plan for this to be a business-centric model. Um, so this needed to be a pull as opposed to a push. And when we think of what we do in this country writ large, not just for tech, but virtually every sector, um, it's a push model. It's a, a higher education or an education solution that is supposed to serve the broadest masses and push talent out to industry. Um, but there seems to be a central theme that kept coming back, um, both about talent recruitment into that system and also uh, a growing divide in um, how higher education was not meeting the expectation of industry and in getting people prepared for work. And so when we started the conversation on the employer side, we had to wrestle with what does it look like to, to meet our expectations for coming in on the employer side, and then concurrently convene some organizations, community-based organizations who are trying to push talent into the marketplace from a diverse standpoint and have a really frank conversation about um, what are the barriers to entry? What are the kinds of challenges that those prospective candidates face as hurdles when trying to get in? And then kind of have both sides have to move off their base. Um, how do we better prepare the talent and pull people in in a meaningful way? And that that conversation on the talent side, um, you know, we we went at this with an expectation that to fill the pipeline, we were going to have to create some algorithms to make sure that diverse people had an opportunity to rise to the top of the talent pool. And in the end, those groups came back and you know rightfully so shited me. And said, you know, if you just go to market, there are hundreds of organizations in every marketplace just like ours. If you talk to us directly and fill the pipeline with the talent you're looking for, you won't have to play that game. And they were right. And, and that's how we ended up having to go to market was basic blocking and tackling outreach direct to those organizations that serve our diverse communities to fill the talent pipeline but then recognize that tech is not for everybody and that there's still some minimum qualifications that have to be there. But also on the other side, get the companies to think differently about how they're defining talent and that a college degree for every role is probably excessive and not necessary and that they need to change how they define talent as well. So let's look at it as though we have listeners who are thinking, gee, um, maybe I could be an apprentice. Yep. From the st the standpoint of a potential apprentice, what does it take to become one? What does an apprentice do? What do you learn? How do you get connected? What's it What's it like for the individual who might be interested in all this? Yeah. So apprenticeship, um, just for what it's worth as a historical perspective, in the U.S. has been largely focused on manufacturing, building, and construction trades. But really, at its essence, it's a training system. It is a hybrid model that pairs classroom training for whatever field you're going into um, and on-the-job, hands-on paid experience. And it merges those two with some structure so that you become 
you know, for all intents and purposes, competent to do the work of a specific job class. Or, you know, if you're going to be a software developer, you're going to take developer classes at the start and get immersed in how to write whatever the language is that is current and core. So Java, C Sharp, Python, and then you're getting an employer to take you on for no less than a one-year term, in some cases longer, and give you time to grow into the job with a mentor who's paired with that apprentice while they're on the job, teaching them and making sure that they know how to function in the role of a software developer as they grow into that job full-fledged over that year. And the entire intent for a company to engage in this process with an apprentice is it's trained to retain. The intent is that we're building net new talent. And for them to get into it, it's a simple application of do you have basic skills? Can you do, uh, and at least in tech, basic math, algebra, and geometry, not writing algorithms, not writing code. It's basic algebra and geometry. And do you have good problem solving skills? Because most of tech is about figuring out where the underlying problem is in the system and documenting it so that it can be corrected. So you got to be a good puzzle maker, a, a good problem solver. And if you've got those two skill sets um, and you're strong at those, then we can reskill you and train you into an apprenticeship. Yeah, from an apprenticeship perspective, this process can be applied in every sector. It's done for chefs. It's done for nursing and healthcare. It's now done for tech. And that's really only been around for five years, but globally it's been done for 50. So we're really just applying the principles that are accepted and used in other countries and applying them now here in the U.S. And companies are looking at this as an, a secondary pathway for creating the talent, um, not to replace the college ranks, but as an additive talent pipeline. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Masters in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash School. I know that the concept of an apprentice is ancient. It goes back for centuries and centuries, but it has sort of been lost here. And what we've heard more about in recent years are internships. But what you're helping me understand is that an apprentice is much more robust um, situation because it includes that intent to hire and real training. Is, is that the big difference between an apprenticeship and an internship? Um, I think there are a number of differences. That is certainly one key difference. Um, an intern is typically tied to college, and it's usually part of the curriculum requirement that they do an internship before they graduate. 
But an internship is usually short term. It's a few months and no two companies do it the same. So an intern may come in and work in three different divisions for one month each and learn a little bit about different areas of the business, or they may come in and work for three months in one area of the business. And companies, to be candid, um, while they hire for directly from college still, even they're finding that people are not work ready when coming out of an internship model. Uh, an apprenticeship is that train to retain requirement. I would, I would equate internship to try before you buy. Um, and apprenticeship is trained to retain. There's no college requirement for an apprenticeship. So people can come into an apprenticeship, uh, at least in our case, with no prior work experience in the field and no education related to the industry and get reskilled. And if you think of interns being college bound, they're usually early 20s. And so there's that kind of start of career life. And in our program, as well as, frankly, the trades, um, the median age in our program is 31 and a half. And because of that, it means that we can pull people in at any age. Youngest person I've placed is 18. Eldest person I've placed is 65. Um, return to work. And they're getting reskilled for the, for the job. But the job is defined very specifically as you're coming in to be a cloud operations specialist. And so, therefore, your training is around cloud the job is cloud, you're trained to be cloud, and you're being retained as a cloud operations specialist. Um, whereas an intern may touch multiple areas of the business with no expertise in any one. Um, this is funneling somebody directly into a headcount that the company has to fill and wants you to be successful at so that they can retain you in that job long term. I uh, understand that your program is focused particularly on underrepresented people. And I was wondering when I was reading about it, does this include older workers? Because I know a lot of older workers are kind of struggling to figure out what they're going to do to keep earning money instead of early retirement. So you've answered that question. Uh, what is the definition you use in the program for underrepresented people? Yeah, that's a great question. So for for tech specifically, um, underrepresented, while, while we track the federally required EEO data, um, for us, it is very specifically BIPOC. Um, so Black, um, African-American, Indigenous, uh, Latino, uh, Latinx, Latina, and uh, Pacific Islander, Native American, et cetera. Those are really the core of who we're looking for when we think of underrepresented in our sector. We will take all applicants, but 44% of my placements fall into that group specifically compared to an industry that employs less than 10% um, in, in those groups. Women uh, are also underrepresented in tech and so are veterans, um, less than 5% of the workforce, but close to 50% of our placements. And persons who self-identify as having a disability and seeking an accommodation. Um, so we've placed 14% uh, of our placements have sought an accommodation for a disability. Well, it sounds uh, it sounds like you're having a lot of success. And I understand that uh, Prenta has become the first um, federal government recognized registered 
tech apprenticeship program. So what's a apprenticeship um, program that's registered and what does it mean for organizations that might want to have a, an apprenticeship program of their own? Uh, yeah. So uh, registered apprenticeship means that it's part of the federal system, meaning it's recognized as uh, meeting some high criteria for um, oversight and uh, integrity and consistency, which goes back to that classroom training and on-the-job mentorship. Um, when you graduate from a registered apprenticeship in any any occupation, you leave with a credential from the U.S. Department of Labor that says you've completed your apprenticeship. And that has been defined by the industry. And so, for example, um, the standards of apprenticeship that we've put forward for these roles like cloud and software development and data analytics um, have been validated by the industry. We have about 130 companies that have signed on to those standards. And those standards then are approved by the Department of Labor. And so it means that there's one consistent flow of classroom training and on-the-job skilling that all the companies have recognized and said that meets the expectation that we as the industry have. So when that diploma, if you will, uh, or graduation is attained, it means you've met the industry standard for entry level into that job. Um, and that also makes you portable across state lines, industry sectors, because let's face it, every company is a tech company and virtually every company has software developers, app developers, data analytics, cloud administration. All these roles are, are basically utility roles that could serve any industry. But now we've taken the guesswork out of it. Um, and that credential is verifiable for companies who are doing background checks, just like you would for a college degree it can now be verified that this person has passed that level of training and what role they did it in. So you can have a basic understanding of what this person's capable of doing when you hire them. I think you're exactly right. that These days, every company of any size or any organization of any size is a tech company. And some organizations are still pretty early in grappling with that identity. Um, what if there are companies out there, people leading companies out there who are thinking, oh, gee, a, a tech apprenticeship program might help us with some of the struggles we're having to um, attract uh, tech talent to a company that doesn't look like a tech program. Um, but how hard is it? It sounds like it's, it's complicated with lots and lots of requirements for a company to set up a, 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 a um, really serious apprenticeship program? What does it take? How do they get started? So there are a couple of things that the company needs to do for itself first. Um, now that we're you know six years into this mold, the consistent thing that we come across companies really wrestling with, as you put it, uh, they're grappling with how to grow into um, filling that gap that they have. It's, it's a culture change, and the company has to make an executive decision and an operational decision to go from only consuming talent to also creating talent. And that's a mind shift. And um, there is a resource involved with that because your mentors or the people on staff who will function in the role of a mentor have to be committed to bringing up that junior talent and shepherding them through so that they'll be successful and retainable. 
And, and that's where we talk about that, that culture shift in the organization that kind of has to go all the way down. Um, and I say all the way down because we regularly get executive buy-in, but then the metrics of success throughout the organization don't change um, all the way down to, say, the recruiter level. And if recruiters are still being held accountable to just bringing in anybody who can do the work, including through poaching, then there's a disconnect in how they're defining what talent really is because an apprentice isn't going to meet their same old uh, or, or previous definition of talent with that college degree and preferred three to five years of experience and so on. And so there's got to be an organizational shift for the company in thinking about how to implement that. That is the single biggest challenge a company will have. From there, you can go down two paths. The company can set up its own full apprenticeship model, which companies like Aon have done, and they've done really well. They've made that strategic investment and put millions of dollars into it. It does not take millions of dollars to start it. Um, but depending on the size of your organization, you may not be equipped or you may need help, which brings us to the other model, which is you can use an intermediary um, like Apprenti, and there are several of us out there that can work with a company to help them get it stood up and can take on a lot of the recruitment burden, the training burden from a classroom perspective, and help manage those mentors and the company's uh, operations through the apprenticeship until they're ready to onboard more of it over time in-house uh, based on success. And so it, it does not have to be cumbersome for the company. It just really needs to start with that behavior change. Wow, you're giving me um, some insight into maybe a, a big shift in workplace uh, management. Years ago, it used to be that sophisticated organizations really worked hard to develop their people, to have them be loyal, to keep them for a long time. And they thought of it as making investments so that we'll have great people in the future. But in, in more recent years, it's, it feels like people uh, and companies say, oh, why train them? They're just going to leave in two years anyway. And there's been a reluctance to invest in the future of people because there's a sense that the work that workers are fluid. Are they just going to move on? So does this, in, in your mind, suggest a shift that the that something that's happening out of the, the um, tumultuous um, job market lately is that some companies are going back to saying, no, we have to invest in order to attract and bring along the people who are really going to serve us for a while. Is, is that shift happening? Uh, I think you're right. I think there is a little bit of that. I think there is uh, an acceptance that there's an investment needed in bringing the talent in-house and, and cultivating it like we used to do. I, I would also say that tech was probably not um, as into that building of talent that other industries were. Um, that that was maybe not as innate to us since the 90s. Um, and so the idea that we would invest in talent, um, companies are having to, to kind of accept that if their turnover rate is 18 to 24 months, this might improve it to 48 months. They're still not looking at people staying for 15 or 20 years. They're looking at this as a lower acquisition cost than their traditional poaching 
combined with creating a more diverse workforce. And that should elongate their tenure or the average tenure. Um, it is not intended to be a silver bullet that will transition a workforce to being the, I'm going to get a gold watch at retirement group. That's a good answer. It, it makes sense to me. Well, we're just about out of time, but I want to ask another question from the standpoint of an individual listener. I've noticed this as a coach, and I'm talking with clients from all different kind of areas. Um, they're tech people who know they're tech people, and it's pretty clear and um, everything about their job history says that. But there are other folks who are working maybe in companies that are oriented toward consumers or education or something else who are designing and writing and doing all kinds of things that lead them to the edge of tech, and they seem to have a capability. But they're still shy about putting themselves in that category. Um, is there a way to test yourself to see if you're truly uh, a person with that um, interest and capability in in tech, if the the very words around it make you feel like you're not in that crowd? Absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of people who come to our program and apply have no formal education of any kind around tech, but we do see a common theme that they've gone online and either done a Udacity class or a Coursera class, and they've spent a few hours building something. And that gave them the impetus to maybe try to build their own website. And they may have posted something to GitHub. Um, those are not requirements at all. Uh, but there are a lot of people that are kind of testing the waters to see if it is something that they're good at or could be good at before they make the decision to jump. And there are a litany of free courses online or introductory courses that they could try just to test the waters. Well, give us, um, again, your website, if people want to look up what you're doing so they can maybe explore this idea and be inspired again. And are there any other sites that you'd suggest people can go to to learn a little more? Sure. So apprenticareers.org, A-P-P-R-E-N-T-I careers.org is our website. And you can watch videos uh, from our apprentices talking about their experience, read up on some of the roles that we fill in tech, and um, uh, also do some test prep before you apply, which you can do right through our website. Um, I would also recommend you go to uh, apprenticeship.gov, which is the U.S. Department of Labor's website that is holistic about not only the programs in tech, but in all apprenticeships um, to kind of show you how the U.S. is expanding its footprint in how to reskill uh, talent domestically into virtually every field. So if for some reason tech is not the right place for you, there are a, a multitude of other opportunities out there and apprenticeship.gov will give you um, some insight to other things you could be looking at. Thank you, Jen. That's really helpful. This is fascinating. I I feel like um, you people are really doing something there at Apprenti and, and you've offered some good insights on how 
the technology sector is uh, really making some progress and filling up that pipeline with a, a diverse group of people. Um, so thank you for being here today, and I wish you luck as you keep making the world better out there. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. This is great. Today, we've been talking with workplace expert Jen Carlson about a new kind of apprenticeship opportunity in the technology sector. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. Today's tip is that you probably have more job options than you realize. A huge new wave of training programs is creating many new flexible opportunities. Thanks for listening to Jazzed About Work. Please come back soon. Thank you.